Chapter Ten of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Art of Asking the Way. Wading along through the red leaf shallows, I presently came upon a cottage set a little way back in the shade of the wood and knocked at the door to obtain a direction cottage front doors never open at the first knock it seems to reach no human ear its only effect is on the furniture you hear chairs softly sliding to walls a table leg utters a shrill scroop or two perhaps a cupboard door creaks open and a duster sets up a tinkling among the best china within or a broom may make a hasty flourishing survey of the floor when these sounds have died away but not before it is time to knock again and now your summons has a surprisingly quick result for the door usually flies open at the first tap discovering your upraised knuckles poised in mid-air opposite the civil inquiring face of the cotter's lady on this occasion it was a young woman who answered the door a buxom rosy-cheeked wench whose facial outline was as near to a complete arc as ever i beheld human visage she listened to me with eyes and mouth formed into smaller yet just as perfect circles stoutland she repeated helplessly i be sure i couldn't tell ye and then with a sort of happy gasp oh there be feyther feyther'll know there a be settin under the tree yonder i went across to the old smock-frocked man he was sitting in the sunshine on a chair with his legs in a box tucked in comfortably with a blanket he seemed very old but quite cheerful and communicative and deaf as the tree under which he sheltered here the practice i had had on the traction engine stood me in good stead it took but four or five minutes to drive the essential word into him oh ay storton he piped at length and thereupon recited to me a whole epic of complicated local information i fixed in mind the first two or three items jettisoned the rest and started off the road was nothing but a cart track it wound across a clearing haunted by screeching jays then plunged down a hillside so thickly covered with firs that i could scarce see the hands of my watch in the sudden darkness it was like going down the shaft of a mine but in a minute or two i made out a patch of vivid sunlight below me where the lane broke cover and presently i came out upon a marshy stretch of land ringed about with dense woods there my eye was immediately caught by a patch of moving pink which on a closer view turned out to be a magnificent wiltshire sow she was grubbing about for acorns on the edge of the wood 
her great ears brought forward to shield her eyes from the sun i had never seen so huge a pig she stood as high as a donkey was near as broad as her length and her vast quaking udders almost dragged on the turf as she wheezed discontentedly along complaining as i judged of an annoying scarcity of provender i got my camera ready and crept silently in her wake for her portrait would have been a gem in any gallery of beauty but it was not to be i had hardly won within ten yards of her when she pricked up one ear high enough to afford a view of what was brewing evidently she understood the whole business and decided to thwart it for she immediately turned her broad back and marched rudely off i tracked her down steadily and when she stopped a few yards farther on i made ready again for a shot but before i could level the camera she had turned once more leaving me nothing to photograph but a great rosy rotundity with a twitching knot of a tail to it despairing of making a picturesque composition from this point of view i manoeuvred again and again for half an hour or more i followed her about her boggy domain but she outgeneraled me every time the nearer i got to her the farther she contrived to keep me from my purpose at last i gave it up in disgust savagely heaved a clod of earth at the jade and went forward on my road at the next farmhouse i asked the way again for stoughton and happening to mention my rencounter with the sow the farmer looked alarmed and gravely shook his head why tis lucky said he as you hereby to tell on it man alive didn't you know the danger ye ran why tis the merest chance she haven't at ye a few minutes more brought me out into open country again and in sight of one of the most beautiful prospects in the whole journey a mill hummed by the lane side and away between wooded hills ablaze with autumn colours stretched a vast lake blue as the sky above and populous with every kind of waterfowl i made friends with the miller for he and his man were loading up a wagon with sacks of flour and i had walked far enough the miller told me this was new lake and that stoughton lay but a few miles beyond the wagon he added was going through there and if i cared to ride i was very welcome to this he subjoined some farther information not so much to my liking stoughton i gathered was the principal show-place for miles round replete with landscape gardens and temples and grottoes and a baronial hall full of art treasures including a family curse and a ghost or two in the village i was told stood the famous bristol cross which was worth coming miles to see and 
going along i was to take special note of rocky arch because everyone photographed it all of which was extremely disquieting but once fairly on the road in the ponderous slow-moving wane i forgot all this in the sheer loveliness of everything around me the district it is true suffered from too much landlordly care yet no amount of human meddling could destroy or indeed perceptibly degrade the wild wide beauty of the place for a long way the road skirted the shores of the lake beyond the lake the hills towered up one behind the other aflame with a thousand different hues of brown and crimson and gold but all this was shut off from my view by a thick dark belt of pines that ran between the road and the water of the water itself i had full sight between the bare pine trunks below it reflected now not the blue sky but the hills making a ravishing picture of soft blurred hues like a band of richly woven embroidery i was so dazzled and enchanted with all this topsy-turvy magnificence that i nearly missed rocky arch but a nudge from my companion brought me back in time for a look at this distressing example of symmetrical landlordism it straddled the roadway between two steep banks to give it its due rocky arch must be called a brave bit of artifice it is nothing like any rocks in the world or anything possible in nature but is still commendable for its intention to be ornamental in the mistaken naturalesque way yet it cannot be gainsaid that a couple of blasting cartridges and a few crowbars might be employed greatly to the betterment of the view at this particular spot the wagon did not halt in stoughton and i kept my seat contenting myself with what i could see of the place as we jolted slowly through it was submerged in the deep red light of countless beaches it was spotlessly neat and cared for and petrified into helpless dependence on the great house above the people all walked with a deferential retainer-like air the very children and dogs played about on the green in self-conscious decorum as though life were a perpetual school treat under the eyes of the great ones of the earth luckily i fell in with none of the temples and grottoes but i could not well avoid a glance at what was once the market cross of bristol securely penned in behind iron railings in its corner like a petty malefactor in the stocks i was told that bristol itself possessed a beautiful copy of its sequestrated property and was well content if that be the fact well so much the worse for bristol and no more can be said directly we were clear of stoughton deep sunk in its ocean of ruddy leaves the character of the country entirely changed 
the rich timberland was left behind we got into a network of open lanes with the billowing green expanse of the downs rising and filling the landscape to the far horizon i had never yet set eyes on the wiltshire downs and as a sussex highlander i studied them with a critical eye they differed very considerably from my own homeland the hills were longer with abruptly rounded ends and were set wider apart the sussex downs huddle close together every hill shouldering its fellow into the skies but these downs of wiltshire had none of this accumulative soaring effect each long shoalback stood aloof from its neighbours and though many of them were of commanding height the intervening stretches of green valley were so level and so wide that all sensation of continuity was lost they seemed to me more like isolated hills set at random in a great plain and dividing it up into a sort of crazy quilt of pastures the miller's wagon took me as far as kilmington and dropped me there at the comfortable inn it was evidently a well-used house of call for half a dozen vehicles of various kinds were drawn up outside and the little parlour was full of company there were three draymen with their dinners in their laps and one of the famous double-handed wiltshire beer mugs made for boon companionship on the trestle between them a master butcher in a blue cotton frock coat sat smoking in the best place by the fire in the crowd i made out more than one gamekeeper's velveteen jacket but all had their backs to the door and so absorbed were they in some story that was in course of narration that nobody seemed to mark my entry i slid into the window-seat with my mug and platter as quietly as i could every eye in the room was fixed on a lanky red-whiskered man in moleskins he was glaring round from one to the other of the laughing company by no means joining in their amusement well now he said indignantly and how were i to know what the durn thing were anyways you'd have been just as frightened as me jack i tell ee for all your grins and grimages there's a word lying on the floor a-clickin and a-gurglin and the blame train a-flyin along hundred mile a minute as i swear on the book i reached down and feltin and a were as hot as blazes i reckoned as twould go off directly and blow we all to kingdom come hengin and all if i didn't do northin and what was to do but what i ups and do's pretty sharp i tell ee lor when twere all over how bad i did feel for sure and ne'er a drop o drink to be had till us gets to salisbury and then twere four o'clock in the mornin he stopped short for his wandering eye had detected my presence every one else immediately looked in my direction in the dead silence i felt speech incumbent on me what was it then that frightened you so 
i asked as casually as possible a laugh went round the room and all looked at the master butcher for spokesman oh only old george here he went on a day excursion to london yesterday for the first time in his life and on the way home he took it into his silly head to throw the foot-warmer out of window strolling away from kilmington a little later and wondering whither the fortune of the road would lead me next i was overtaken by the master butcher in his spruce gilt-lettered cart he pulled up and asked me what direction i was taking which was the question i was prepared least of all to answer because he continued if you're going through the hills and anywhere near rodmead farm that's my way and you may just as well ride as walk he had a gentle refined face a pleasant voice and a manner wholly out of gear with his calling i judged him to be a butcher by inheritance rather than by choice it may take three generations to make a gentleman but in that time the qualities that produce the butcher are infallibly obliterated country districts are full of such anomalies in the towns the sons of men who have taken up with a necessarily brutal trade generally contrive to follow their own bent there are always plenty to step into their shoes if they have a mind for another trade but in the villages there is seldom a second choice of livelihood and the business descends to father and son regardless of natural tendencies the like conditions prevail in nearly all country trades not omitting the ecclesiastic i know of a village barber who paints in oils and a village cobbler who ranks almost as a minor poet and a village curate himself the son of a rector once confided in me his unalterable longing for a career on the variety stage rodmead farm in whose neighbourhood my courtly gentle-minded butcher set me down lay right among the shoalbacks i found myself alone in a wide green valley level as a billiard-board that ran almost due east and west walled in by the everlasting hills there was not a sign of road or footpath the valley was a mere chain of meadows with hedgerows between where innumerable cattle pastured while the hills on either hand were dotted over with grey flocks of sheep slowly wandering to the fold i could be in no manner of doubt however as to my direction i had only to keep the sun behind me and push on from field to field it was now late in the afternoon and the light had deepened to a rich hazy gypsy gold i struck out across the first meadow my shadow going on a full hundred yards before me and giving warning of my approach to the great milch kine that stood about everywhere in the lush grass i had no idea whither i was going 
i was aware that the south wiltshire down country covered a space of earth roughly twenty miles long by fourteen broad for all i knew i might go on threading my way through these solitary pastures until nightfall and still be remote from any chance of a lodging but it was simply impossible to hurry i was in an enchanted land as was borne in upon me at the first silent step on the yielding sward i could not even pursue a straight unchecked course i must needs wind about from one meadow corner to another and sit a while on every gate i came to lost in a sort of tranquil ecstasy at all i heard and saw the level light grew mistier with every moment and took on a ruddier tinge the intersecting hedgerows full of scarlet berries and the yellow of maple barred the way before me like lines of swift travelling prairie fire all the brown cattle turned purple and the white were dyed to rosy hue a wisp of vapour stole up here and there and lay like a pink veil of gossamer across the path that i must break if i would journey onward and the air was steeped with a quiet music wavering inconstant as of harps that laid aside after a symphony still remembered and returned to the merry roundels in their dreams it was deep dusk before i had traversed the last field in that elf-haunted valley and all the way this sheep-bell music kept with me step and step its quality varied curiously now it died down to a mere single tolling note and now burst out into a medley a hurry of sweet sound wonderfully like the gladness of purling water sometimes it came from one side sometimes from the other but it never ceased for a moment it seemed that for every blade of grass in the whole dim solitude about me there must be a note of music struck somewhere high up on those twilight shrouded hills at last when i could scarce make out the shapes of the cattle standing knee-deep in the mist i stumbled upon a track gradually it broadened into a rutty grass-grown lane and this presently gave upon a road glimmering white and ghost-like in the first pallor of the new risen moon i pushed forward for a mile or two through what seemed almost uninhabited country but just when i was beginning to speculate on my chance of reaching anywhere that night i fell in with a trudging labourer and got welcome news he told me i was coming to the deverels and that in the second one monkton deverell i should find an inn yet even now with this comforting piece of intelligence for travelling companion the night had fallen so beautiful that i could not hasten my steps the moon was nearly at the full the road went by woodlands where the light hung in the tree-tops like swaying festoons of silver 
the hedgerows and the grass by the wayside were luminous with dew owls swung through the fathomless arcades of the wood uttering their weird sepulchral whistle and now and again a stag beetle droned by in the still air with a note like the sudden twang of a slack rubber band as i stopped near a gate to listen to the stir of night-life about me one of these owls made a wide swoop passing close over my head i saw her plainly as she went and she looked almost snow-white in the blanching moonbeams there is a general belief that owls and all creatures that hunt their prey on the wing after dark have a noiseless flight but it seems that no flight can be absolutely silent the downy wing coverts of the owl may serve to muffle the stroke of the flight feathers but they do not silence them even the bats that propel themselves by means of naked membranous veins set up a low rhythmic vibration of the air as they flicker to and fro and this owl as i stood in the deep black shadow of the wood made a distinct musical throbbing sound clearly audible in the hush of the night i watched her for several minutes beating up and down between the hedges that flanked the lane at this point she did not call now and this struck me as singular because i had always believed that the hollow note of the owl was given forth at intervals during these hunting forays quite voicelessly she passed and repassed then a little way down the lane where she was momentarily out of view a shrill choking cry rent the grey darkness again it rasped out but this time more feebly the thought had hardly flashed through my head that the owl must have found her quarry at last when i caught the stealthy beat of her wings again and saw her coming straight for the gate on the broad rail within a few yards of where i stood she came to rest she had some wretched thing a bird as far as i could make out in her grasp she held its body down on the rail with one claw and there before my eyes set to work to disembowel it with her cruel beak the whole work of butchery was done with a deliberation and sure science that revolted me dimly and uncertainly as i could follow its details then leaving the offal on the rail she swooped off again flying straight for the wood but this time charging the air with her low intermittent note as i went off the white serenity of the night seemed befouled with the real horror of what i had witnessed one of the hardest things to understand in nature is her construction by destruction her grisly interplay of life and death monkton deverell proved much farther off than the plodding rustic had led me to believe his mile was nearer three but at last i made out a twinkle of lights ahead and caught the steady clang of an anvil on the faint night breeze 
there may have been a score of cottages in monkton but it looked pathetically small and defenceless like a child lost in the hills i judged it to be of a general timidity and rather afraid of the dark for i met no one in the village street and at the inn i was to feel this curious local atmosphere of apprehension more decidedly still on my request for hospitality the landlady was plunged into painful doubt and confusion excuse me sir said she at length excuse me for asking such a thing but it won't be dangerous taking you in sir will it you do hear tell of such dreadful things happening with strangers in lonely houses and there was her stalwart son regarding me over her shoulder and looking quite capable of dealing with any two of my calibre however i soon managed to overcome their hesitancy and in ten minutes was snug before a comfortable fire and a good meal End of chapter 10